Hello, and welcome to the Empowerography Podcast. This is a platform created for women's voices to be heard and a place to share their stories, journeys, and successes with the world for the purpose of helping other women who might be on similar journeys. We are empowering women one episode at a time. I'm your host, Brad Walsh, so kick back, grab one of your favorite beverages, and enjoy the stories. If you're looking for jewelry that makes an impact on your self-care routine and your style, Empowerography would love to offer you a discount code to one of our exclusive partners, Quartz and Canary Jewelry and Wellness Company. Please use code EMPOWER15 to receive 15% off upon checkout at www.quartzandcanary.com. Quartz and Canary is truly the place where spirituality meets style. Hello there, Brad Walsh here, host of your Empowerography podcast. Today, my guest is Kristen Bentley. She is the founder and CEO of Elisely Publishing and also a USA Today bestselling author. Welcome, Kristen. Thank you so much for taking the time to be here with me today. Thank you for having me. It is my honor and my pleasure. I know that we, you and I have been trying to get this done for a while and we've run into a few hurdles, but we are finally here and I am so excited to have you here and to jump in and start learning and sharing a bit about your story and your journey. Yes, same. So as mentioned, you are the CEO and founder of Elisely Publishing. You are also an author. Now, Elisely Publishing is a boutique traditional publishing house, boutique style traditional publishing house that launches change makers with bold, uninhibited stories into best-selling authors. Why did you decide to launch a, a boutique style publishing house? And what does Elisely Publishing House do differently as a boutique style rather than a regular style publishing house? That's such a great question. So how I moved into that space in the first place was really understanding the need for it. I believe that as an author, when you spend so much time into writing a book, because that is not a quick process and it's not an easy one, right? It takes a lot to get to that. When you then go to submit that manuscript for publishing, the process moving forward from there, it really takes the book and the voice and the story out of your hands and you no longer are able to be a part of what it's transformed into before it's then delivered out into the public. And so to be able to provide a traditional publishing service that really supports those authors. We like to say that it's, you know, white glove boutique service (laughs) because we really truly do serve them in such a deep way that they feel like we're rolling out the red carpet, right? We're giving them all the support, all the nurture, all the keys and the tools to become successful with that story. And it's really mostly about validating their voice and honoring it right? Honoring that story. So we maintain the authenticity of those stories without changing them. And when we go through the editing process, we, we do an edit where we'll ask them, I need you to dive in deeper here. We want to move this around here. But at the end of it, it's still the author's voice. Beautiful. That's a great experience for the authors, I'm sure. Now, when did you start Elisely Publishing and what was the inspiration behind starting your own publishing house, Kristen? Sure. So it really was a kind of a, a gradual progression. So I launched Elisely in 2020. Okay. It was in April. So at the time I was working, I had an executive seat for this incredibly successful startup company. And I won't go into all of that, my reasons for deciding (laughs) to leave that particular organization. There were many reasons. To keep it nice and short, I'll just say that I was not a fit. I did not feel as though I was a fit there. So I chose to launch out onto my own. And initially, my intention was to support authors in writing their stories. And it was in understanding this need for this particular type of support in publishing that I then chose to venture into publishing so that I could support them from the very beginning of the process. So from book idea to book release. So again, like a full service support system for the authors. Yes. And I have to, I do have to share, as you all remember, 2020 was, so I, I launched three weeks before Washington state was quarantined. 
And I had this moment of pure panic. And I feel like those of us that are entrepreneurs, we've all experienced them. They probably just look different for each of us. So mine was this pure panic moment. And I remember thinking, what did I just do? (laughs) What did I just do? You know, because I was already working from home and I had the flexibility. But it's really interesting because I truly believe that when we take that leap of faith and push forward into what our purpose really truly is, why we're here and who we're meant to serve. It all just kind of, it all comes together. Yes. The past just gets laid out and that has been it every step of the way. So all it's required of me is to lean in and lean in and lean in. And that's what I continue to do even to this day. I love it. Now, besides being a boutique-style publishing house, what is it that sets yours apart from others? Why should potential authors come and work with Elise Lee as opposed to the so many other publishing houses that are out there? Sure. So one of the things that we do that I think is probably the most important asset that we provide is really, truly focused on the writing of the book. You know, there's many people out there that have at one point said, I'm going to write a book, but to actually put it together and onto paper is such a gnarly process that many don't even know where to begin. So it feels overwhelming. It feels like this mountain that is impossible to climb. And so we have authors that come to us and they have an idea slightly of what they want to write about, but they don't really have it narrowed down as to the direction. So I know that I want my story to be about you know, overcoming this mountain, for instance, but I don't know what this very, very specific message is just yet. And I don't know where to start. I don't know how to start. And I don't, I'm kind of questioning myself. I'm doubting my ability to write this book. And so we basically walk them through the entire process of writing the book. So we're a publishing house that also provides writing coaching services. Which is important because I'm sure a lot of authors that come to you do struggle with exactly that because it would be incredibly overwhelming. And then, of course, you've got to deal with imposter syndrome and all the other things that come along with that. Like, who am I to write a story? Who wants to read my story? All of those things. Yes, 100%. And the crazy thing is that everybody experiences that. And I love how you mentioned imposter syndrome because I call it a very special breed of imposter syndrome. Author imposter syndrome is like imposter syndrome on steroids. Because (laughs) when you say, I'm going to write a book, you step into, whether you are understanding or even willing, you step into a vulnerability container. And once you're in that container, everything feels bigger than life. It's interesting because I myself am currently working on a book. And when people start showing up and presenting themselves in a certain way, you know, I think to myself, do they not know that I'm writing a book right now? Do they not realize that they are giving me content for this book? Because that's what happens. You know, you put something out into the universe and you say, I'm contemplating this particular topic. And the universe says, I got you. Okay. We're going to present everything possible to you for you to write about it. So what ends up happening is when we sit down to start writing our book, we initially think the book is about X, but then the book, it evolves organically. And by the time you're done, it's Z. And it's a completely different book, but it's exactly what it's supposed to be going out into the world. Yeah, absolutely. That's beautiful the way you describe that. Kristen, how did you come up with the name for your publishing house? So my daughter, uh-huh. uh, she's so I'm the mother of five and I have one little girl. My daughter is five years old and she was our little surprise. <laughs> so before that, I was a mama to all boys. And I did not realize how different it is to be a mother to a little girl until I held her in my arms for the very first time. And it was so fascinating because here she is, she's a newborn, and she was looking up at me that first night in the hospital. She was looking up into my eyes and I could feel her looking into my soul. And there's something different, right? There's something different about being a mom to boys versus being a mom to little girls. When you're the mama of a boy, you know that you have to present this example 
of who it is you want your son to grow up to look for in his life, right? The relationship that you have with your husband is what your children grow up to replicate. They go look right. for that in their own lives. So it's different because it's what is that example of a partner that I'm looking for versus who am I going to grow up to become? And there's something about that. There's something about knowing that your little girl is going to walk into your closet, step into your shoes, put your handbag on her arm, and she's going to walk around the house pretending to be you. <laughs> and yeah. there is, there's nothing more terrifying to imagine this tiny little creature that wants to be just like you. Yeah. And the way that you begin to introspectively look, who am I as a woman? Who am I as a person? What do I stand for? And as she got a little older, I started noticing characteristics of her that reminded me of me when I was a little girl, right? So carefree and loving and uninhibited and bold and fearless. And she shows up as her big, full self. And I say big, she's tiny. But in her mind, she's big and she's yeah. vibrant and she's vivacious and she's all these things. And she's imaginative and she's creative and she's loving all of these things that I was when I was little until I started putting myself into boxes throughout my life, right? We step into mm -hmm. these boxes and we accept these roles and these titles as we grow. And I thought to myself, Elise Lee, that is getting back to who you are, getting back to who you truly are inside and who you once were. That is the journey that our authors are taking. I right? love that. That is beautiful. Wow. Thank you for sharing that. Mm -hmm. now, as I mentioned off the top, you're also a USA Today bestselling author. That is a pretty damn big accomplishment and a huge feather in your cap. What does that title mean to you as an author? And do accolades like that carry much weight with you? Or is it more like, yeah, it's a nice to have and looks good on a resume, but it's really not what I'm about or what it's about? Yes, I would definitely, I would lean towards the latter. I think that putting the pressure on ourselves to obtain these, these titles and these impressive things are not really for ourselves, but they're for other people. And the reality is that what leads us to write a book in the first place, it begins with this seed within us of the story that we feel like we really have to tell. So whether we tell that story through a memoir or a professional book, that's where it starts. And I think the true accolade and what the true feeling of purpose and success is not necessarily in those types of measurements, but it's more in the impact that we're having on people. One of the things that I hear over and over and over again from people that have accomplished big things, whether you're looking to write a book or you're looking to give a TEDx talk, it all goes back to the message that you're sharing because you believe in it. You believe in the importance of it. And one of the best things that I've ever heard, and I feel like this analogy fits so unbelievably well to writing a book, but I'm one of those that now I'm sharing this publicly so I yeah. feel like I'm really putting this out there, but I feel like we really need to own up to our goals that we set for ourselves in order to achieve them. So one of my goals is to one day step on a TEDx stage, okay? So mm -hmm. I registered for this mastermind and it was from this gentleman who's been on a TEDx stage four times and he now coaches people to take the stage. And he shared his story of when he was 19 years old giving his very first TEDx talk. And the whole reason why he did it was because he had just gotten back from visiting a very small village in Africa. And while he was there, he learned that through the education of young girls in these underserved countries, in these third world countries, it is through the education of young girls that we lift not only those villages, but the entire society, the culture, the country. So economic growth throughout the world climbs when we focus on the education of young girls. Wow. So he set this goal and he said, I'm going to take a stage and I'm going to raise enough money to build a school in that village. So he said he was so unbelievably nervous. He felt like he was going to vomit. He took the stage and his face was just red. His neck broke out in a rash, <laughs> but he delivered that talk. And when he was finished, he raised enough money to not only build a school, but four schools. Holy shit. Right? And so when we think about the impact that we have, you know, and I'm probably going to botch this because... <laughs> 
this, this statistic, but I, I was at another event, um, a virtual event of, a month ago, and it was talking about how every single one of us impacts like 10,000 people throughout our lifetime. Okay. So to think about that, that's pretty magnificent. That is. You're a person who writes a book or takes a stage that's as large as a TEDx stage. You like 100-fold, 10-fold. The impact that you have is magnificent on other people. So to be able to have somebody come back to you and say, your book changed my life, that's the importance, right? I had an author who had a fan reach out to her and say, can I please tattoo your book title? Can I get a tattoo with your book title? Wow. That that's powerful. That's the type of impact that matters. That's yeah. why we write the book. Beautiful. Holy shit. That uh, both of those things are so incredibly powerful and yes, that that's what it's about is leaving an impact mm -hmm. on people, leaving an impression with people. As both an author and a publisher, Kristen, do you prefer to wear your author hat or your publisher hat and why? Also, what are a couple of things you enjoy the most of each of those? Yes. Oh my gosh. So that's a really hard one for me because I feel like <laughs> I enjoy both of them equally. I'm working on a book right now and I'm also working on chapters in a couple multi-author books, which is incredible because I feel like those experiences are so unbelievably different and they're both so rewarding in their own ways. So I really, really enjoy that part of me. I grew up as a little girl telling stories. I think when I was two, my parents tell me now that they wish they would have written them down because they probably could have sold them for money. <laughs> I would come up with these just incredible stories. So I feel like that storyteller in me, that creative part of me is really at the core of my being. So I can't even imagine ever not being an author, not writing, that's going to be something that I'm going to do until the day I die. However, being a publisher really allows me to take that gift, right, that I have and be yeah. able to share it to provide a platform for others to amplify their voices so that they can get their stories out into the world as well, which is also very, very rewarding. So they're very different. And I feel like the two kind of come together hand in hand to support each other. I think I'm a better publisher because I am an author. And I think I'm a better author because I'm also a publisher. That's a great way to look at it. It is great having the experience and having been on both sides of the fence. It gives you that experience to, as a publisher, to help your authors because you know what they're going through. You can relate. Absolutely. Now, as a writer yourself, I'm sure, as we mentioned earlier, you've dealt with and still deal with from time to time that author imposter syndrome around your own writing. How do you work through that or overcome those thoughts? You know, it's definitely one of those things that I don't believe it it ever goes away. I think that's a journey that we take every book that we write. And the incredible thing is that we think that 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 place that we step into, right? That insecurity, that self-doubt, we really have this false belief that it is exclusive for us. But the reality is that every single author experiences that to include New York Times bestselling authors. Um, I was in an event one time with the author, Jen Sincero, who wrote, You Are a Badass. And when she was writing her first book, she expressed that same exact thought. She said, who am I to write this book? Who's going to want to read this? And why am I doing this? Because when you write a book, you are on this emotional roller coaster ride, right? Where some days you feel so strong in your conviction of your message that you're delivering. You're so focused on the people that you're serving by sharing your message. But then other days you are questioning everything. And mm -hmm. it's a constant walk where you have to remind yourself because who's to say that you're not going to be the next New York Times bestselling author? Yeah, we don't know that. True. And if we count ourselves out that that could ever happen for us, then it won't, right? We're setting a limit as to what it is that we can achieve. So the difference between people who say, I want to write a book and people who actually write the damn book <laughs> are the people that are able to persevere through author imposter syndrome, because it is the number one reason why people stop writing their books. So it's an everyday active thing. And when you know 
that it's going to show up. You expect it to show up. You are equipped to handle it. And at my desk, I have I am statements. And they'll change based on what it is that I'm working on as far as a writing project. So having those statements, having them in front of me, meditating before I write. On the desktop of my computer, I also have a mock-up of the book cover for the book that I'm currently working on. And being able to visually see it, it excites me. It motivates me to keep pushing through those difficult days where I'm questioning why I'm writing in the first place, right? It, it reminds me of my mission, my impact, and what it is I'm looking to deliver. I love it. That visualization and, and believing in yourself. So what would you say are the top three blocks for, for authors that you see clients that come in and that work with you? when it comes to getting their stories. You've said that imposter syndrome is probably the biggest one. So what are two more that people experience in your experience as a publisher? Yes. So it's fun because I actually, one of the things that I teach is how to overcome the three A's of an author ass kicking is what I call them. <laughs> and so in these areas, you've got the author imposter syndrome that shows up. You've got the fear of vulnerability. That's another one. That one, the umbrella that arch, you know, whatever arches underneath that umbrella is things like, I'm really concerned about what this family member is going to think of this book when it releases. Because what I'm sharing is not necessarily shedding them in the best light. However, this needs to go into the book in order for it to be complete. There's no way around me sharing some of this part of the story. And so there's that concern of what are others going to be thinking when they read the book because they're in there and it's vulnerable. Anything yeah. that requires us to show up and it's literally like we're opening up our chests and showing the world what is inside of us. We're showing our innards. They're spilling out onto the page, our beating heart, our emotions, our feelings, things that we've experienced in life that bring us deep shame, that bring us regret, grief, sadness, all of those things, that place of vulnerability where we're feeling emotions. That is hard. And the thing that happens that we learn when we're writing our book is that some of the experiences that we're sharing, and it doesn't matter whether you're writing a professional book or a memoir, your own personal story is going to show up for you as you're writing. And things that you have overcome and made through trauma, whatever that looks like for you, it shows up. And it shows up on a level that is different than the way that you experienced it the first time through. Because when we live through trauma and things that are difficult, we experience them on a surface level because we're surviving the situation. We go into autopilot to get through the experience. All of the ways that we self-sabotage ourselves are because they kicked in to get us through that trauma. So what happens is when you're writing your book, you can't experience those things on a surface level or your book is not going to connect with anybody nobody's going to feel the message that you're sharing. So you have to dive in to your subconscious. And there's a deep fear in that process. Nobody wants to dig into their subconscious because we're afraid of what we're going to find. We're afraid of the emotions. And the emotions that show up are the biggest two that we find are anger and grief. And when those things show up, because they do, and they will. You have to give yourself the space to process them. It's okay to take a step back from your manuscript and say, I'm taking a week off because I have to work through this. I have to allow myself to feel and process this experience because it truly is me experiencing it for the first time. I think that also makes for a better experience for the writer and for the reader when it is finally done too, that they had the wherewithal and the self-awareness to take a step back and process. 100%. I've had authors that have come to me after submitting their finalized manuscript and they have said to me, I have been in therapy for years and writing this book was the most therapeutic thing I've ever experienced in my life. Because if you imagine your book, it's almost as though there's this physical transfer of weight that shifts from you off of your shoulders, off of your heart, off your soul, off your mind, and it's just released. 
The story no longer has control and power over you because the biggest thing, and this is crazy, this is kind of relating back to the author imposter syndrome, but they're connected, right? It's unbelievable that we believe that we don't belong in our own story. Author imposter syndrome. We don't belong in our own story. We are not worthy of our own story. And this How is what How crazy happens. is that though? Like so when you think crazy. about that, that's nuts. It's insane. Why do we believe that? And what happens is just through the process of writing the book, you go from, I don't know about this, and you're tiptoeing around in your story, right? And by the end of it, you're like, I'm owning this thing. <laughs> I have full right to be here and own my story and my experience. And for those of you that read your book, if this does not resonate for you, that's okay because it's not your experience. You don't yeah. have to resonate with it. It's just not meant for you. Yeah. I know that my book is going to find the people that it's meant to find, that are meant to be impacted by my story. So we begin to understand why we're writing the book and that why that we start with, it changes from the beginning to the end, it changes. And we realize that we belong in our story. There's this beautiful quote by Brene Brown. And it says that if you do not own your story, you will forever walk in it trying to be worthy of it. And I know that I did not completely, I bought it that probably a tiny <laughs> bit, but that's essentially, she's saying that you will search for your worthiness. You will never feel worthy of your story until you step into the story. Own it. Own that. You shit. have to own that story. Even yeah. if you feel like it brings this tremendous shame because that's what traps us is the shame. So there's that piece. And then the other piece is, oh my gosh, like just the overwhelm of how the hell do I write a book? Right? Like <laughs> yeah. a nonfiction book is about 65,000 words to 80,000 words. When you think of it like that, it's like, holy cow, do I even have enough to write a book? The truth is we all could write probably 10 books. Yeah. We have that much. It's more of a matter of which one are you going to write? But it's the right. writing of the book. It's the how-to. It's the structure of the book. It's the storytelling. I cannot tell you how many times I have people that are looking to write a book to become an author that say, but I'm not a writer. That's one that I hear a lot. The yeah. reality is that most are not. So I personally know the author of American Sniper, right? I met him mm -hmm. at this conference before he wrote American Sniper, he was a lawyer. He is now a New York Times bestselling author and went on to assist with the production of the movie as well. So wow. he knew Chris Kyle personally before Chris Kyle died. He was a lawyer. If you've ever read a legal document, they are not writers, right? <laughs> no. <laughs> that is not storytelling. Those are not, those do not translate. They're not the same. You don't have to be a writer. That doesn't have to be anything that you've ever called yourself before. It's a matter of having a voice and it has to be yours. That's the other thing that people think like structurally, well, who should I sound like? Should I write like Hemingway? Should I write like <laughs> Jane Austen? No, no, you should not. You should sound like you. When you speak and have a conversation with somebody, that's what your book needs to sound like. So it's the how-to aspect, the writing of how do I create a book outline? How do I create the structure of my book? That's the other piece that people are really concerned with. And it's a big part of it. So many things there. It's crazy what we tell ourselves and what we convince ourselves of. It's absolutely nuts. We are our own worst enemies. We truly are. And when we think of that and we just sit with that for a moment, that the only person holding us back from our true potential is ourselves. I have a chapter that I'm writing in my book that I'm working on right now. And it's all about overcoming your fear of greatness. And there's this really beautiful quote. And it's, our deepest fear is not that we are inadequate. Our deepest fear is that we are powerful beyond measure. The darkness we are afraid of is our light by Marianne Williams. That quote is everything. It's everything because we are capable of so much. We're such powerful beings that are meant to be here on this earth to connect with each other. We're meant to share our stories 
to uplift others. And the beautiful thing is that when we're able to do that in the form of writing a book, we leave a legacy. Generations after we pass on are going to be reading our story and our story is going to continue to change lives. It's incredible. And the idea of that alone is terrifying. It is for sure. But it's so beautiful on the flip side of that. You know, it, it's amazing. And this is a great segue into this next question I have for you is, as they say, our words, our language that we use, they have so much power. So for you personally, do you have a specific experience where you learned that your language and your words have power? Something that would illustrate that. Oh, yeah. So I do. When I was in high school, I wrote poetry. And it's so it's so funny because I feel like everybody writes poetry in high school, right? <laughs> it's such a different genre. I feel like high school poetry is its own genre, right? Because it's kind of that like slit your wrist, like dark gloom. Yeah. <laughs> so emo. Yeah. And that, that was my poetry for sure. I took poetry classes in college and my poetry definitely evolved quite a bit. However, my senior year, my school announced a poetry contest and I had only shared my poetry with my closest friends at that point and only a couple of them. So it was very, very, very close to my heart. And I decided to just go for it. And I submitted a couple poems. I submitted two poems for this poetry contest, which is so out of my character that I would have even jumped on something like that and done it. I was definitely a kid in high school, though, that kind of like marched to my own drum. I was involved in all the things that I wanted to be involved in, regardless of whether my friends were in them or not. Right. I was friends with everybody kind of thing. So I ended up winning the poetry contest. Wow. And I think that that was my first indicator that, wow, this is something that you need to keep pursuing. And then my other poem was published in our senior yearbook. And so I still keep in touch with friends from high school, and it's been really fun to see where everybody's at. So sharing my age a little bit next summer is my 30-year <laughs> reunion. And isn't that crazy to say that out yeah. loud? I just don't even know how to feel about that. I'm processing. I'm still processing. <laughs> but it's really neat to see where everybody's at. And, and from that age, from I graduated at 17, but from then to today, like how much we've grown and evolved and changed. And it's amazing to look back and think that that was my pivoting point because I went on and in college, I was on the literary magazine. I wrote for the newspaper and it just it started everything. It launched me into pursuing my writing. Who would have thought back then though, that that's, that's where it would take you, you know, it's just, it's mind boggling. Agreed. Yes. Now I want to go back to some of the things you mentioned about people fearing writing their books and the small percentage. So statistically more than half of Americans say they would love to write their own book and tell their story, but only 24% actually start the process and only a staggering 8% actually complete the task. Yes. In your professional opinion as a publisher and through your experience as a publisher, what are the top three reasons you would say for that terribly low statistic? I mean, that is really sad when you think about it. It's really low and it actually goes a step lower because that's who finishes writing, it's right. even less. So less than 2% actually publish. Wow. Yeah. That's horribly sad. It's very low. So first off, there's the author imposter syndrome that's yeah. then, right? Mm -hmm. You go through all the work to write the book and then you start doubting yourself and you think it's not good enough. Well, here's the thing. Nobody's is good enough with the first draft. The first draft yeah. sucks. Everybody's sucks. My first draft sucks, right? From what it starts to finish product before it actually goes out onto a shelf, it's not the same book because there's this beautiful thing called editing, professional editing <laughs> that evolves. It puts it all together. So the number of people that then think, yes, I'm going to go ahead and reach out to an editor or I'm going to submit it or right, whatever that next step is to move towards publishing, we start to question whether it's even good enough. Then there's the other part where we are so afraid of the judgment that's going to come from publishing the book. What are people going to think? What are my friends going to think? What are my family members going to think? What am I going to think? Am I going to publish this book and regret because I can't, you know, I can, I, I can pull it off the shelves, but there's still going to be books already out there in circulation. 
right? I can't really technically take it back once it goes out there. So there's, there's the fear of that. And I think that there's also the fear of what comes next, right? Again, going back to Brene Brown, I love her. We can tell, right? <laughs> yes. I feel like most of us love Brene Brown. And so when she delivered her first TED Talk, she had no idea how many people were actually going to listen to it and watch it. And it terrified her that the idea of 3,000 people could watch the talk. And it went on to millions of people watch the talk. And then she turned around and she told the second one. And she said, I never meant to become this public figure that I've become. I never set out to become where I am right now. And the idea that she could become that, it scared her. She thought about pulling her talk off when she saw the numbers climb because of the pressure, because of the expectation, because of the, well, what comes next now? What do I do now? Because the truth is when you write a book, when you publish a book, doors open. People see you. People find you. They look for you. You become visible. Not that you're not visible before, but you come visible on a level that is significant. People start seeking you out because they want to interview you. They want you on their podcast. They want you on TV. I have authors who are interviewed on TV. You go on to give paid public speaking opportunities. It progresses from there. Almost every single one of my authors, what they did professionally before their book was written to what they do now are not the same thing. It's shifted and changed. Everything in their life has changed. It's evolved. It's grown. It's progressed. And I think for many of us, there's a fear of that evolution, that self-growth, because we don't know what it means. It feels scary. And sometimes we would rather stay in the comfortable. We'd rather stay in the known. And when you write a book, it is taking that pushing out into the uncomfortable to the umph degree, right? Like there's no more pushing it out than that. I did an interview with an author who wrote her book about being biracial, being bisexual, having bipolar, and also an addiction and all of these other things, right? Just really, she was raped and her story is big. It's a big, big, big story. And when you ask her, I asked her in an interview one time, what is the bravest thing you've ever done? And this is a woman who has, right, overcome rape. She's- yeah overcome all of these significant things. She's become sober every day, wakes up and has to work on that road to sobriety. And she says, the bravest thing I've ever done was writing my book. Wow. There it is, right? I feel like there's the bomb. There it is. That's it. That's the mic drop moment right there. That's the mic drop moment. Yes. Because it does, it changes everything. And she did not know when she set out to write her book that it was going to shift her path into pursuing to become a therapist. And that is where life led her. That is where the journey of writing her book led her because she said to herself as she was writing, and it was the one thing that kept her going, is if I could help just one person, if I could reach one person and help them. And she had multiple people come back and say, you saved my life. Now she's on this complete shift of career to continue saving lives, to continue having an impact And she knows she's going to write more books. This is just the first of many. And that's what it's all about, as we said, is having impact and reaching people and inspiring Mm -hmm. others. So Mm -hmm. that is a beautiful story. Thank you for sharing that. What would you say is one of the most inspiring or rewarding parts of the work you do as the owner of a publishing company? So I have a couple different containers that people can move into with our publishing house. So we have an author community and then we have a masterclass. So in those two communities, we have author workshops every month. And it's one of those things that I know I remember personally (laughs) as a college student when my professor for a creative writing class said, now next week, I want you to show up with 20 copies of the short story you just finished writing. I remember thinking, oh my goodness, everybody in this class is going to read my story. And it was terrifying. The idea behind that was terrifying to me. However, there was so much empowerment in that. When we have those author workshops, hearing the aspiring authors share their stories, oftentimes for the very first time, and hearing that shift of voice, and they're feeling the empowerment, 
and they're feeling the presence of the story and the impact that it's having on others. And then for them to allow themselves to be open to receiving the feedback is monumental. You can feel the shift within them through that experience. And I don't know if there's anything more powerful than that. That is pretty powerful for sure. That's that's witnessing transformation Absolutely. unfold right before your very eyes. And that I've seen that as a photographer, and it is absolutely one of the most incredible things to witness in life. Mm-hmm. It is so beautiful. There's not enough words to describe the power and the feeling and the beauty in that. There's not. It it really, um, I become emotional. You know, it, it's hard not to. It's hard not, um, yeah, exactly. Just, it, it fills me with so much, you know, this beautiful connection that occurs too. And it fills me with so much gratitude for their courage and strength to share those difficult stories. And then to see them bond to one, to, to one another, you know, that, that connection of them yeah. leaning into each other. Uh, the support that comes out of it and the love for one another and the lifetime friendships that develop from it are pretty incredible. Kristen, what is one thing you wish you had known before you started out in the publishing business that you know now? Oh my goodness. I feel like a lot of it has to do with thinking that you need a formal education in running a business. Because I'm going to go back to this quote, right? Everything yep. is figure outable. Yeah, Marie Forleo. Right? It's all everything is figure outable. So yeah. if we find a reason to talk ourselves out of just jumping out into the unknown and launching a business and just throwing ourselves into it, even though it's right before COVID and we're all about to be quarantined and all the things are about to happen, <laughs> right? Yeah. If we stop ourselves from just believing that we can do it then we're never going to even find out if we are. So I know for me personally, I'm a creative. I love the vision creating, the creative space, all of those things. But then I'm kind of this rare breed of person because I'm a Virgo and I love details and organization (laughs) and being the CEO of a publishing house because when my authors submit their manuscripts, I do the developmental edits. And then the copy editing and all of the additional layers of editing get sent over to my team. But that's where I'm allowed to be a perfectionist. So I would say that I wished I would have known that I didn't need to have everything together just yet to move forward. It did help me. I joined a class, a master class that helped me put together my business plan. And having that put together and the pieces and the quarterly planning and all of those things really, really, really helped. But I needed to understand that it really comes from just trusting yourself. Running a business is all about intuition. It's all about trusting and listening. So listening to the people that you serve and know that they're going to guide you exactly where you need to go. You don't have to have an MBA. You don't have to have all the fancy, right, other kinds of titles on the wall. You can be successful simply by trusting yourself and listening to the community that you serve. And you don't have to have it all figured out before you start. No. And the funny thing is, is that two years later, you still won't have it all figured out. That's right. (laughs) Absolutely. We're still figuring things out, but you have to be flexible to pivot because that's really what saved me. I mean, launching a business, it's interesting listening to the statistics of how many businesses actually did launch during COVID and continue to launch these home-based businesses. And they can become incredibly successful. Like Elise Lee today, you know, it's, it's an incredibly successful publishing house. You just have to know that you're going to figure it out and you have to be willing to pivot as you go. Kristen, what do you think your unique skill set or superpower is that's helped you become successful? You know, that's such a good question. I feel like a couple, a couple things are coming to mind, but I'm going to go with just having faith, I think is the superpower because having the faith and the trust that things are going to come together exactly as they're meant to come together, trusting that the people who are meant to find you are going to find you. It's amazing how when we trust ourselves and the thing that it is that we create and we really nurture that magic within us that gives us that ability to create the magic that we create, when we put that out into the world, 
it reaches who it's supposed to reach. So we don't have to focus on posting on social media. We don't have to focus on, oh my gosh, did I send out my email this week? It's really about the energy that we're pushing out to attract other people and knowing that they're going to find you. And so Elisely Publishing continues to grow in this very organic way. So rolling into 2023, we're ramping up to release a title a month. Wow. We have That's over a goal. We have over 20 titles currently in production. Some of them are currently being written, some are editing, right? We're in varying different parts and areas of the production process but trusting that that's going to roll out exactly as it needs to roll out. It's going to come together because you hit delays. Projects move forward slower than they were supposed to. You have to have faith in yourself, knowing that you are creating the magic that you're here to create in the way that it's meant to come out, right? So when things get delayed, just trusting that, it's for a good reason. Trust, Trust and allow. Mm-hmm. Speaking of success, Kristen, how do you define that word? What does the word success mean to you? Oh my goodness. I love that question. And it's really amazing to me because I have that all kind of in that masterclass I took to create my business plan, right? That was one of the parts that we put out, that we put together. So I come from a very educated family. I have a brother who's an engineer. I have a brother who's an attorney. We're highly educated, super successful people. We're those achievers, those doers, those like, okay, I'm going to climb the next ladder, right? I'm going to keep going and keep achieving and keep doing. I was the jock in the family. I was the one who competed in college for a sport and did all the things. And when I was asked that question... I just wrote what was showing up. To me, success is to live a life in full presence where I am connected to my family. I am connected to my purpose here on earth. And I am able to leave some type of legacy specifically for my children. So success to me is really about the connections that we make with the people while we're here. And then the stories that are told about you after you move on. What would you say is one of the most important things you've learned in your life? And what was your life like before you learned it? And what was your life like after learning it? Oh my goodness. So I am still, I can't even say that I'm a recovered control freak (laughs) because I'm still working on it. As a mom, specifically to a mom of an autistic child, right? I have to be on top Mm -hmm. of all of the things, but I really, really used to have this high frequency towards being highly self-critical, a perfectionist, control, all of those things. And the one thing that life has beaten into me is that the only thing that we can control is ourselves and how we respond to the environment around us. So everything can be so beautiful and wonderful within my four walls of my home. I can have this incredible relationship with my husband. We're leading our home together, raising children that are out doing wonderful things. I have five children and they are very spread apart because I was divorced and remarried and had two more children in my 40s. So I have children in their 20s. I have children in college and I have children in elementary school. And I would say that just really that whole thing that you were just saying about the letting go and the surrender. Because the beautiful thing that I'm finding is that even in my most difficult of times, you know, as a trauma survivor myself, when I had to live life one foot in front of the other, one day at a time, is that I can only control myself and the way that I react to my world around me and the people in it. And that is all I'm responsible for. And knowing that how other people show up is not on me and I will not take that on me that that is on them. It goes back to that whole saying that when people show you who they are, believe them. And I've embraced that. I used to once be, as I kind of alluded to when I shared about how I was in high school, I had all the friends. I was in choir. I was cross country and track. And I had friends on government and all the things. I knew everybody and everybody knew and I wanted to be liked. But when I went through that time of trauma, it really required me to kind of take a different perspective. I was able to see what was around me 
that was showing up and where my energy needed to go and what was worth putting my energy out into. So I save myself, my energy, my time, everything that I invest into, into those spaces. The ones where I know that are going to create the type of impact that I'm looking to create. So I'm very particular about what I choose into, what I buy into, what I show up for, who I show up for. I'm very protective of my space and what I say yes to. Speaking of impact, who in your life has had the biggest impact on you and why? Oh, my husband. We married eight years ago. And he's one of those people, I had this conversation with him one time, and it was kind of around this whole idea of we all feel like we second guess ourselves and second guess what we say because we don't know how other people are going to say it. And he looks at me and he says, I don't do that because I don't care. I just show up and I'm who I am. And if they don't like it, that's okay. I don't have to impress them. I'm not going to change who I am. And I remember looking at him and thinking, how can the world be more like you? You know, <laughs> because, pretty freeing. Because he's so honest. It's a breath of fresh air how honest he is. And he's just open about where he stands on everything. You never have to second guess. You never have to wonder. And because of that about him, he requires me to show up differently in my marriage in a way that I did not do prior because that dynamic was obviously quite different, but he requires me to show up in a way that I'm able to be more authentically me. I don't feel as though I need to people please or answer in a way that I'm expecting the person is wanting to hear. And it really is this refreshing way of living life. And again, it goes back to that whole journey of becoming more Elisely, right? Going back to who you were when you came into this world with the gifts and the talents and the magic that you were born with, going back to that. And that is the gift that my husband has given me. I love it. It's the only way to be. We can't get caught and it's hard. It takes a lot of self-work, I think, Mm -hmm. to get into that mindset and be that way and get into that behavior. But it's got to be incredibly freeing. It really is. When you totally embrace that. Yes. Because when you realize that you're not responsible how other people receive you, even if it's family members, don't carry that weight. Like that's not on you to carry. Say and speak your truth and be honest to yourself and how it's received on the other end lets you know where that person stands for reason and trust that. Kristen, what does the word empowerment mean to you? Empowerment means to live the life that you choose to live, to live in your full, bold, authentic, uninhibited self, and to show up purely as yourself and to be unconditionally loved by others for showing up as your authentic self. Okay. We're going to jump into a little rapid fire section here. So the next grouping of questions would just be two, three, four word answer type thing. Okay. Okay. If you could teach the world one thing. What would it be? The power of voice. What's one thing you want but cannot buy with money? Love. How would you describe yourself in one word? Resilient. What is your favorite word? Love. What is your biggest pet peeve? Chaos. What is your favorite self-care practice? Meditating. What is your biggest fear? Loneliness. That concludes our rapid fire section. Now back to our regularly scheduled program. (laughs) (laughs) I like to change it up a little bit. What is something surprising that you've learned about yourself in the past year? Ooh, in the past year. Oh my goodness. I feel like that's a loaded question first off, Brad. (laughs) (laughs) Because I've said yes to these uh, things over this last year that are really big things. And I'm going to say specifically to this multi-author book, And this multi-author book is stretching me in a way that it's really requiring me to take note of not just what's going on in my life right now, but what has happened in my life in the past as well. And the interesting thing is that I was able to go back and uncover a childhood wound that I did not realize I had. And in being able to do that, it was a, you know, based on a, a tragedy, a loss in the family 
and all of the dynamics that changed and shifted after that loss in my entire family and the way that it changed my childhood. And being able to understand that as we are rolling into Thanksgiving here in the U.S. tomorrow, because a year ago, just to kind of share, my whole family came here for Thanksgiving. Um, I live outside of Las Vegas and Henderson now. And I remember not really knowing what that was going to look like because I'm, I'm the only girl of, of boys, my brothers, I have three brothers, and nobody knew what to expect from this dinner. We weren't able to come up with an organized menu. It just seemed like it was going to be an absolute <laughs> shit show, right? And yeah. so I'm sitting here and I'm thinking, we're going to show up and all we're going to have to eat is turkey and potatoes because we have people making multiple things. My mom announced that she's not cooking this year. And I'm thinking, good for you. You deserve that. <laughs> you deserve to have everybody cook you Thanksgiving dinner for the rest of your life. And it ended up being the most magical holiday I think that I've had yet. It was so beautiful. And so for me to be able to uncover this this wound, because my grandpa was one of my favorite people in my life when I was a little girl. And I don't think I really truly understood how losing him impacted not just me, but my whole family. And so there's this new level of understanding and gratitude and love and acceptance that has come out of understanding this. And so here I am getting ready to do another Thanksgiving with my family, yeah. but I'm in this whole new place of healing and shifting because that is what happens when we say yes to something like a multi-author book, right? It, it ends up, yeah. we say yes because we want to become an author and we have no idea we, what we're getting ourselves into. We have no idea, right? We yeah. say yes and we're terrified and then this whole reveal and shift and pivot and all these things happen that affect us and our lives. So in this last year, some things have surfaced that were pretty big. However, I'm really getting ready to spend tomorrow in this space of pure gratitude and thankfulness. It is. It unfolds. It opens up a whole other world when you say yes to participating because it brings up so much. It does. What is one lesson your career has taught you that you think everyone should learn at some point in their life? I would say probably that you don't have to do it alone, that there are others that are here to support you, collaborate with, um, build community with. I think when we first start kind of, whether it's you know launching a business or it's interesting how different life is as an adult from when we're a child, right? Because when we're a child, we seem to be so focused on those friendships yeah. but that really changes and shifts in adulthood. I think we're less focused on the friendships and more focused on the success and the performing because we know the success and the performance is going to allow us to provide for our families, whatever that looks like, whether it's just you and a partner, whether it's just you, whatever that looks like, it provides us the life that we think we want. And we lose sight of those connections to those communities unless we actively make it a point to stay a part of them. And so you yeah. don't have to have all the answers. You don't have to have it all figured out. You don't have to do it yourself. You don't have to be good at everything. I feel like that's been a really important lesson for me to learn. That is an important one for sure. And it has popped up a lot for me too, is that we got to, we have to get into that mindset where we're not meant to do things like that alone. We're not meant to do business alone. We're not meant to do life alone. It's okay mm -hmm. to ask for help and to reach out for support. In the last two years, what new belief, behavior, or habit has most improved your life? Without a doubt, meditation. So not this last summer. So summer of 2021, my college age boys were visiting us that summer. And while they were in town, we had some really complicated conversations about the past. They were asking questions and I felt like the right thing to do was to have those conversations, have those hard conversations. Divorce is hard, right? And it impacts yeah. children regardless of the age that they are in such magnificent ways. It's heartbreaking. And they were starting to ask things that they'd never asked before that they didn't really understand at the time and that were really hard to talk about. 
because as I said, I have, I've survived trauma and the trauma was centered around that time of life. And when my boys left, I remember feeling so heartbroken, so sad. I was feeling grief. I was feeling like I was grieving. You know, I was grieving the past almost all over again. I was grieving their experiences. I was grieving this time for them instead of myself. And I reached out to a family member. She has an even more complicated relationship with her children. And she shows up in her life and it's so present and so full. And she seems so happy. And I asked her, I said, what secrets do you have that I need to know? (laughs) How were you able to be like that? Because she's essentially, she's been estranged from her children due to her ex-husband and she hasn't talked to them for a few years. And I said, how do you wake up and do your day and be happy and be present and do all of those things. And so she told me I meditate every morning. Mm. And I said, okay, I'm going to do this. It keeps showing up in my life. It's been popping up for years. People are telling me meditation, you should do this, you should try this. And I'm thinking, okay, it's beating it over my head. It's time. It's (laughs) time for me to start meditating. And it really has been transformational. I can tell a difference on days that I don't meditate because I schedule a call that's too early in the morning. After taking my children to school, I learned to shift that because my meditation time to really start my day off where I give myself time to find calm, to find center, to self-reflect and do all those things. It really helps translate into being able to make myself uncomfortable on a regular basis because that's actually one of my professional goals is to make myself uncomfortable on a regular basis. Uh Reach out to people, put yourself out there because you never know what answer you're going to get. If it's going to be a yes or a no, you ask anyways. Just ask, right? That's right. So meditating has definitely been absolutely transformational. That's been a huge one for me too. This past year, I've just started learning Mm -hmm. the art of meditation. And Mm -hmm. I have to say, even just recently, aside from today, like yesterday, the day before, the past three days, I didn't do any meditating and I didn't say my affirmations. And I'm telling you, what a huge difference. My mindset shifted when I don't do those things. I go to a different place and it's not good. And it helps me so much. This morning, I haven't meditated yet, but I did my affirmations and I will meditate later. But I have to say, even just the affirmations have made such a difference that I've seen today compared to the past three days. So all of these things, all of these self-care practices, these are huge and they do make a huge difference in your life. At least for me anyways, it's a huge impact Mm -hmm. and it's a noticeable difference. It is. And especially for people who would classify themselves as overachievers and perfectionists. Mm -hmm. I think meditation is so helpful for everybody. But for people who have a really hard time with slowing down and being present, it really does help relax the nervous system. And the incredible thing that happens when we do that is when we can slow ourselves down, this different level of confidence comes through. So we come across more confidently. We are more calm and collected and together. We present ourselves in a much different way when that nervous system is in alignment. Yeah, absolutely. Kristen, if you had the opportunity to sit down and have a one-hour conversation with one woman, any woman in the world, who would it be and why? Oh my gosh. I'm going to say Brene Brown because I've been <laughs> I know so, that was coming. <laughs> yeah, I've been so obsessed with her because the truth is, is that the art of my profession, it really is in vulnerability. So when I think about the ultimate expert of vulnerability, that's Brene Brown. And so I've really been enjoying the work that she does, the research that she does in this space Because I'm 100% finding of the things that are the most challenging for authors, and you've already asked this question, it's truly the author imposter syndrome. So the self-doubt, and then there's the fear of vulnerability. And everything is circles around that. And when a book is not vulnerable enough, the voice does not come through as powerfully. The reader does not feel like the author was as honest and forthright as they should have been in the story. 
It doesn't translate the same. So when yeah. you write a book, there's this line of vulnerability. And it's really important that we allow ourselves to actually cross it when we write a book. We allow ourselves to become overly vulnerable, overly sharing, diving into the depths of ourselves because the more vulnerable we are in our story, in our book, in our chapter, the more powerful it is, the more powerfully the voice comes across through to the reader. So there's blocks that keep us from getting vulnerable and we have to figure out what those blocks are and how to work through them. And a lot of them have to go back to the, you know, those survival tactics that we learned to keep us safe back when we overcame something. For so sure. I would definitely love to pick her brain. <laughs> if you could go back and give your younger self one piece of advice, what would that one piece of advice be? You are loved unconditionally. Lastly, Kristen, if you were to deliver your last 30 second speech to the world, your corner of the world, your tribe, your people, what would that last 30 seconds sound like? What words of wisdom would you impart? Your story is a story that the world needs to hear. The world needs your story. The world needs your voice. The world needs you. You are here on this earth for a purpose and your purpose matters. Your story matters. Your life matters. And for you to be able to share your story, it gives others the courage to share their stories. Using your voice and your story is the most powerful thing that you will ever do. So take advantage of those opportunities that allow you to use your voice. Say yes, do the thing, and don't look back. Beautifully said. What an incredible way to end the interview. Kristen, thank you so much for taking the time to be here today and share your insights, your expertise, and your experiences. I appreciate you so much, and I am so grateful to have had this time to sit down with you you are a true inspiration and the work you're doing is incredible. Just keep shining your bright, beautiful light out into the world and being the beautiful human woman and soul that you are. I am honored to have you as a member of the Empowerography community and thank you for all the beautiful work that you do. Thank you so much for having me. It was a pleasure. Once again, my name is Brad Walsh, host of your Empowerography podcast. Today, my guest has been Kristen Bentley. She is the founder and CEO of Elise Lee Publishing, as well as a USA Today bestselling author. Thank you so much, Kristen. I hope you have an amazing rest of the day. You as well. Thank you very much for listening to this podcast. If you haven't yet, please be sure to subscribe, rate, review, and share with all your friends. You can find me at visuphoria.ca, follow me on Instagram at Empowerography Podcast, and on Facebook at Empowerography. Please join me next time for another inspirational story from yet another amazing woman.